Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Bolton eBikes podcast. Happy to have you here with me for another episode and happy to have another guest on the show who is experienced very much so with electric bikes. So I'm pleased to say that we have Roshan Thomas here. You may not know his name, but you may have seen his ads or things on Facebook. I know I have. He is the founder of a company called Bike Tricks. So we're going to get him on the podcast today to talk a little bit about his experience with electric bikes, where he thinks things are going to go. And I think this is going to be another great episode. So make sure to stay tuned to the very end. Well, thank you, Roshan, for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Hey, Kyle. uh, Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thanks so much for taking this initiative with this podcast, because I think uh, e-bikes... are lacking the visibility in public that uh, that they surely deserve. And uh, thanks for stepping it up and uh, putting it out there. <laughs> Great. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I And I fully agree with that. I feel like there are people who know about e-bikes and love them, and then everybody else has never ridden one, never seen one. And as soon as they see it, it's like an instant, wow, why don't I have one of these already? That's At least that's the normal response I see. Absolutely, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I think uh, for us, like previous, like you know, we've been around since uh, 2013, and at the time uh, when we launched our first e-bike with uh, with that 750 watt mid-drive motor, everybody would just be like, "Oh, why do you need an e-bike? I have legs. I have, you know, I don't need an e-bike. I'm not a lazy guy and this that and all that." And as soon as they get on it and ride it and feel what the pedal assist feels like and and how you know they don't have to go from zero to 15 instead. Uh, they can just cruise at close to 20 miles an hour. I think that's when we really win them over and their uh, their mindset goes from, oh, I thought we don't need this, but I, I could see how I could use this. Well, 2013, that's great. I feel like there's a new e-bike company popping up every week, it seems like. Uh, and not that that's a bad thing <laughs> at all, so don't read that the wrong way. I think it's great. But you've been around a little bit longer, I would say, than average. So that's great. I'm curious to hear how you first learned about e-bikes or what got you started because you got into it a little bit earlier than, like I said, what I think the average e-bike company, how long they've been around now. Yeah, you know, the the thing is that uh, just like the first electric cars, when the first electric cars came out, they failed miserably because they were too early <laughs> for the market. There's a few of those e-bike companies. They're long gone, but yes, that's that's true. That's kind of the same thing has happened. <laughs> And it's the same thing that's happened with uh, with e-bikes also. Like yesterday, I was reading about this uh, this e-bike company that that was uh, you know around in the '90s selling e-bikes and trying to sell e-bikes. That but nobody even got what the idea is. And and that was my fear back in uh, 2013. Is that man? You know, like my company is based out of Saskatchewan, Canada. So this is in uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I think lots of people make fun of our name because it's super freaking long. We get snow about eight months a year. Weather goes down up to like, uh, you know, minus 30 Celsius, which is like, uh, I think at, at Fahrenheit, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, it's very similar in Fahrenheit at that temperature. It's really, really cold. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cold and it's pretty flat. Like it's uh, like, you know, we, we're, we're in a flat town here. Like our, our steepest hill, like there are occasional here and there, there's some hills and there are lots of rolling hills, which is like this long, drawn, steep, uh, like not quite steep, but... Uh, uh, but long drawn hill over several miles. But the thing is that uh, you know this is probably the worst place to be in to sell e-bikes. And for me, that's 
that, that's what I was like, oh, I don't know, you know what? I might fail at this, and uh, this might be uh, just a, a pipe dream. But uh, it turns out that e-bikes are appreciated everywhere. And you're right. Right now, there's lots of e-bike companies popping up every day. And it's, what's amazing is that when I look at those bikes, I'm like, man, this is awesome because these guys are all spending uh, effort in, in educating people and, and getting more people on e-bikes. And I don't have to go and do that task myself, or, or you don't have to do that <laughs> which is great, you know. At the end of the day, what I, what, what I really envision for is uh, as e-bikes as the next evolution of uh, the regular bike. So uh, I think more uh, people in there uh, getting to that better. Of course, if they make shitty bikes, then, then we have a problem. But as long as they're relatively conscious about the quality of the bike that they're making and uh, they're getting more public on, on safe bikes, I think uh, that's what matters Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, there's just, it's crazy. Like, like you said, I by myself with a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever I put out, I could never possibly ever reach everyone that might want an e-bike and you by yourself couldn't do that either. And I've mentioned this before. There's no way I could possibly sell every e-bike to everyone. It's just Physically, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, and that's why I think some competition in different e-bike companies is good because that's actually going to drive things forward for everybody at the end of the day. So I think it's great. Uh, the important part with that is that the industry then forces cities and governments to make the cities and the infrastructure better for biking. Because if an e-bike can replace somebody's car, maybe like even 20% of the time, that's a, a step forward. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's better than not. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's great having competition around. Well, it sounds like you're, I'm going to go out on a limb here and take a guess and say you might be a little bit of an early adopter to, to new technologies or at least aware of new technologies early on. What is your background with electronics? And I'm curious how the e-bike thing for you personally just clicked and made sense. when based on your location to a lot of people, it may not have. Well, actually, you know, uh, going back, uh, I actually did not grow up here in Saskatchewan. I've only been here for about 15 years now as a Canadian. But uh, uh, prior to that, uh, my childhood was in India. So I grew up, grew up in Bangalore, India, which is uh, the IT capital of, uh, of India. It's known as the IT capital. Like all of the top uh, Forbes, uh, you know, Fortune 100 companies own uh, offices that are sure. in, in, uh, in Bangalore. So growing up, uh, you know, I, I got into computers really young. So I know that I took about my, my first computer when I was like nine or something and, and started coding in, uh, in GW Basic and, uh, and Fox Pro for uh, bringing out these games that, uh, of companies that don't exist anymore. But, uh, uh, I started doing that when I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12 kind of thing. I, I uh, actually started my first software company when I was uh, 15. Uh, I made a. Oh, wow. Yeah. We, we made like a. A small software that basically uh, helps ERP, which is enterprise resource planning, which is pretty much the software that we use, uh, like similar to the software that we need and use here in house right now to manage all of our inventory and sales and all these things. Uh, and then I sold that uh, company there to a couple of my partners, and, uh, and then moved out here to Canada uh, to do my undergrad. And after graduating in, uh, in electrical and computer engineering, I, I worked with BlackBerry for a couple of years as uh, you know as one of the developers there, and 
then just moved around quite a bit and uh, and eventually ended up working for a small Saskatchewan company that specialized in EDA, which is uh, electronic design automation. Essentially, that company focused on making software to run uh, high sigma simulations uh, for for checking chip failures. So they're used by you know top uh, chip uh, manufacturing companies and semiconductor companies, uh, and they made some amazing software. And I was part of that team. Uh, I think I was. I think I was like employee number fourteen or something, and then when I left, it was uh, okay. like hundred odd people and got acquired by Siemens. And in fact, during one of oh, those wow. trips to Europe, I used to travel to Europe quite a bit. And uh, during one of those trips is when I was introduced to an e-bike. So uh, I was in Nijmegen in Germany and uh, was there for a few few weeks. And uh, somebody, my landlord there at the Airbnb, said, "Hey, you should buy my e-bike," you know. And I thought I was just blown away. You know, I thought this was just like the best thing ever. And then uh, <laughs> coming back to coming back Saskatchewan, I saw I, I got, got to ride some fat bikes. And, you know, I, I biked to school back in India and stuff, but I'm not really a biker. You know, I never saw myself sure. as, a cyclist. as a cyclist. Um, yeah, like I used to ride like, a bicycle in India when I was going to school, like 15 years or something. But uh, after that, I've ridden motorcycles, lots of, lots of motorcycles and done some funny stuff with it. But uh uh, I've never seen myself as a as a cyclist, and uh, when I saw this, you know, e-bikes in Europe and these fat bikes in, in Canada, I thought, man, this would be like awesome if I can just like merge them both together. And that's uh, pretty much how I got started. Awesome. Well, that's great. So, 2013, uh, finally jumped in with the uh, the e-bikes and and still doing it. And uh, it sounds like you probably will be will continue to do that for a while, which is great. Well, yeah, that's the plan. Like, you know, we're still a underdog company. Like, we're, we don't sell, spend a lot of money on marketing. Uh, most of our sales are still uh, by word of mouth. And uh, mm-hmm. we're a 35-member team here in, in Canada. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, we hope to be doing this for the next little while. This is, uh, this is not a one-time gig. I think it's, uh, it's more of a long-time gig. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think this is just the very early beginning of e-bikes and... The growth trajectory was really good before all the COVID-19 whatever stuff happened. And then this year with that, that just accelerated it. It just kind of dumped some fuel on the fire, so to speak, I think. And they just started taking off even faster. So I don't think anybody really has a good prediction from here going forward as to how many bikes are actually going to be sold. Yeah, I think uh, North America in general has been a little bit of a, a laggard when it comes to uh, you know newer technologies. And uh, if you if you look at reports from like Navigant report and stuff back in like you know, when I when I was doing my business plan back in 2013 and stuff, they would say, oh, we're gonna sell like you know, a few hundred uh, e-bikes and and maybe a few thousand by 2025. But uh, sure. I think I think we might be outpassed all of those predictions. And, and <laughs> yeah, 2025 is is gotta be way, way uh, beyond those early predictions, I'm sure. Exactly. And I think you're totally right. This uh, this COVID has been more of a catalyst to the reaction of these uh, e-bikes, you know, and uh, like a lot of people think like, oh, maybe this is just a fad. It's going to go away. But I feel like uh, they're wrong. This is actually here to stay. And COVID just helps more people to uh, to look for alternate options to get out. And uh, it's just exactly adding fuel to the fire. Right. No, I completely agree. This is... Uh... It's one of those new things that is going to stick around. The bikes are going to continue to get better. There's going to be more innovations and options. And I think this is just my opinion. I don't have any data to back this up. But I think that 
bicycles have very, very slowly been developing, you know, over the last 120 years or so and minor changes happening to bicycles. And I feel like electric bikes is just going to change that and bicycles are going to improve and change a little bit more rapidly from now on. Since I've always loved bicycles, I'm just really excited to see, you know, what other people come up with. I agree. I think finding data for that particular stuff might be a little tricky, but, uh, but I think you're right. Uh, I read somewhere that, uh, that, you know, every 10 years, like every decade or so, something major happens, some kind of a major revolutionary uh, innovation or something uh, happens. And, and the last time that right. happened was when we've had mountain bikes, for example. Like right now, a lot of people use it and they're like, oh, this is awesome. And it's just a day-to-day thing. But, but mountain bikes didn't exist, uh, you know, till like, early 80s like it wasn't even like, it, <laughs> right you know it, it wasn't a thing so uh, that was a big innovation when it came up so, oh this is like awesome that uh, that a mountain bike came out in the 80s and 90s is really when uh, when it got popular and and now i think in the in the 2000s and 2020s it's uh it's definitely the the e-bike that's uh, that's coming up and uh i think there's a that's a very good point to interesting you bring up the mountain bikes because uh i sent a few messages and I haven't gotten any responses, but if anybody has a good connection to Gary Fisher, who's kind of attributed as the event inventor of the modern day mountain bike, I would love to have him on the podcast because one, he, he invented something new with bicycles in general. And you would think, because this is often the case with people that are really into bicycles and cycling and the way it was traditionally done some of those types of people aren't maybe supportive of where things are going with electric bikes. But Gary Fisher saw the future with mountain bikes, and he is very outspokenly supportive of electric bikes now, too. And I just think that's great that he saw what was happening with mountain bikes. He sees it again with electric bikes, and I think that just goes to show that it's, it's definitely here to stay. Absolutely. I think uh, Gary Fisher is a legend. Have him on your show. <laughs> Yeah, then that was my uh, my first, what I would consider, real mountain bike that I actually did some riding with a mountain bike team locally here and everything was a Gary Fisher. So hopefully that helps, you know, get him on one day. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I can always try, right? Exactly. Well, great. That kind of tells us where where things were, where you came from. What sort of bikes do you offer now? You said you started out with a 750-watt mid-drive back then. What do you do today? Who do you sell to? I know the answers to these questions, but some of the people listening may not know where you actually send bikes to, where you ship to, or or what sort of models you have. So the first model that we launched uh, back in 2013 was called the Juggernaut Classic, uh, which had which was a mountain bike style bike with uh, a Fang BBS O2 drive motor that was hanging right underneath the frame. Uh, we actually still have that uh, that line of bikes. So Juggernaut is our is our mountain bike series. And uh, we have bikes that have EBSO2 motor called the Classic. We have some with HD mm-hmm. and some with uh, Bafang's latest uh, ultra motor. And then we've also introduced like, a couple of other series of bikes like uh, like cruisers and commuters. So uh, we've got like, you know, about 15 different bike models and various colors, shapes, sizes to choose from. And uh, uh, we, you know, though we're based in Saskatchewan, Canada, the one thing that's going great for us is there's hardly any traffic from here to the U.S. Uh, through the border. So, you know, the the North Dakota border is, is only about three hours from where we are, three to four hours. 
Sure. But that border is as busy as some of the some of the big cities, like in in Vancouver, and Seattle, or, or Toronto, or New York, and New York, and stuff like that. Uh, so that's really great, great for us. So we're able to ship a bike from here to say Florida, which is pretty far, uh, in about three days, you know, three to five business days. We're able to get a bike, so which is great. Uh, we've been you know shipping across the states. Uh, we ship a bunch of. I think we're shipped to pretty much every state uh, except Puerto Rico. Uh, we'd love to ship there, but uh, we haven't gotten sales there. But uh, every other state we ship to and across Canada. Well, that's awesome. That's great to hear that bikes are going out all over the place. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things I I love about uh, the way things are today with online business and everything is you can connect with people all over the place, uh, and we can get products there. That to me is just another great thing that's happened, and especially this year with everybody shutting down. That means you can keep running your business and keep getting bikes to people. They can keep riding. We can keep everybody everybody happy. <laughs> well, I, th- I think like end of the day, international commerce, which is like this, I think the world should be a marketplace. You know, like the boundaries are one thing, but but if, if as a customer, I like something that I can that is only sold in Australia, as I can't get it, man, that's really bad. <laughs> right. I, I think it should be like no. the customers. I love this product in Australia. I should be able to get it here. And uh, without uh, going through a bunch of hoops, and uh, I think uh, luckily for us, uh, the Canadian and North America uh, American relationship has been has been pretty good so far. That uh, we don't see any friction in uh, in things like right. uh, U.S. or getting stuff from the U.S. So because we have a bike that's actually manufactured in California, like we have a, a bike with the frame that's made in uh, in California, and we're actually working on another bike uh, with uh, with white bikes. So, uh, where they're making another uh, bike for us. Uh, so, yeah, we love, you know, buying stuff from the U.S. and customers in the U.S. love buying stuff from us. So, so it's, a, it's a great partnership. Well, that's great. And you've got certain models, I think, um, where you do some of the assembly. So it's kind of a mix, it sounds like, as far as what you guys are actually doing there in Canada for the bikes that you ship out. Is that right? Yeah, so we have actually a blend of bikes. So, so the one thing that we really stand out on with our website, you'll see that we put a lot of effort on our website because uh, we allow people to modify their bike uh, to customize it to whatever they require. So, so a lot of our competitors, for example, would sell a bike and then customers can select a bunch of accessories which they would uh, ship separately, which is actually really right. smart on their part because it's uh, uh, it's really efficient for logistics. And uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's easier, right? Yeah, exactly. They just need to buy one of stuff, package and label properly in a third-party warehouse. And when the order comes in, they just say, okay, ship A, B, and C. And boom, A, B, and C gets to the customer. But the unfortunate part with that is that it limits the number amount of stuff that you can do for customization. You know, like, for example, mm-hmm. if a customer wants a different fork, it doesn't make sense for me to ship them a fork and say, hey, now you figure out how to install it correctly and how you have to customize right. it. How you got to, and if you have to replace uh, the front wheel because uh, the hub spacing is different, you go figure. I think that doesn't make sense. So what we do here is uh, on our website, you know, we sell a bunch of uh, bikes, and all of these bikes can be customized. So if they're, uh, they can be customized where you can, you can select different wheels, different ports, different frames, like all, all sorts of different options. And we actually customize all of that here. So uh, in, in Canada, so we have five uh, five to six mechanics on our floor. Uh, and all day long, all they do is build customized bikes for customers and uh, ship them out the floor. So we basically uh, you know, do all the hard work for them so they can unbox it, 
put on the front wheel, pedal, handlebar, and get riding. That's awesome. I I love having some some options, and it's tricky <laughs> trying to figure out the logistics of uh, different bike models and what options you can have or don't have, and do you change things for customers? And I I think it's great that you just have a team there ready to do that all day every day. That's pretty cool. I think with most of the new e-bike companies coming out, most are not doing that. Exactly. I think most companies, uh, most direct-to-consumer companies, the way they work is essentially, you know, they find a supplier or a, or a manufacturer or a factory in, in Asia. Uh, you know, they spec out all the stuff, ask for what they think is going to sell that market or whatever the, what their decision is. They get a bunch of these shipped out to, to a port or a warehouse in uh, mostly along the coast, so it's easier to ship. So like Vancouver in Canada or Coquitlam in Canada or uh, you know, Las Vegas, uh, uh, they bring stuff to like uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, all of those are key hubs for warehouses. And then when orders come in, they just ship direct. Now, we found that the trouble with doing that is that sometimes when a, when a customer gets back and says, hey, my bike arrived with, uh, with no pedal or no charger, the company right. actually has no idea if there was that thing in the box. <laughs> no, because they never actually looked in the box in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, for us, when customer like we get this uh, question uh, sometimes, you know, when customers are like, "Hey, I cannot find the key in my on my bike." So for us, our, our CX team, all of us work in the same location here. So our customer service rep would walk over to the mechanic and say, "Hey, order number blah, where is it?" And they pull up their binder and say, "Order number blah," and then they would read the notes there and it says, "Key hanging on left brake." So then they would get back to the customer and say, hey, did you check the left brake? It's, uh, the key's hanging on there. The customer says, oh, yeah, it is on, it is on the bike here. And, and, you know, that's great because uh, we're able to offer that level of service constant to our bikes that, uh, that a lot of others just directly ship can. Uh, so uh, they're more cost effective in, in their logistics and positioning. And, uh, yeah, there's a certain level of quality and care that you can put into it that if you're kind of doing the other business model that just isn't possible. Well, I have two questions, I guess. And both might be difficult to answer. One, I think you have probably an idea or an opinion. The other one, you may have no idea or no thoughts, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I'll put you on the spot. Is there something that you'd like to see going forward come next on e-bikes? Like, what do you wish we would have on e-bikes that we don't have? Do you wish they would charge faster? Do you wish we had, you know, a battery that was so big you could just ride all day and never have to worry about range? What's kind of the next big innovation you're hoping for, waiting for? Well, I think uh, right now we're we're all restricted in terms of the, the weight of the bike, just because motors are heavy, batteries, uh, you know, they've, they've come a lot, uh, a long way from where they were with lead acid batteries, but they're still relatively heavy. So, like, uh, like a forty-eight volt. A 14 amp hour pack weighs roughly about like 10 to 12 pounds. So naturally, you know, I think like lighter weight batteries would be great, more efficient motors would be great. Our mo- motors in the market right now are already around like 80, 85% efficient. Uh, but to get a lot of power, like in North America, you know, uh, our, uh, in the US, uh, the power limit is 750 watts. So that's, that's actually quite a bit of power. And usually to get a nice reliable motor that puts out 750 watts, uh, you know, continuously with carrying a pretty heavy payload, the motor ends up being really robust and, and big and bulky. So I think in mm-hmm. the future, I, if, if, if we could manufacture these motors that, that are like, you know, a third the weight with, uh, with non-compromising performance, 
kind of uh, battery pack and then the half to get the same ring, I think uh, that's uh, something to wish for. Uh, of course, we we have this whole wish list of, uh, of things that we, <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> we'd like to work on. And, and like bike security is one of them where, you know, you can always track your bike. And ideally, they would have something similar to VIN numbers so that, uh, uh, you know, theft can be uh, at least deterred. So that's the reason why, you know, there's way more bicycle thefts, I think, than, uh, than motorcycle thefts. Because with a, with a stolen motorcycle, you can only sell the parts. You can't really sell it as a whole motorcycle. Sure. On a bike. <laughs> Even with the seal registry and stuff, uh, I think a lot of people don't check it. And it's, uh, there's a pretty good, pretty big market for cheap bikes. Yeah, lots of wish lists for uh, the things that I would like to see on a bike. We are working on a few solutions. Well, good. Great to hear that. You you remind me of uh, one of the things Tesla has done recently. Everybody looks to them as kind of, uh, you know, one of the bigger companies doing electric vehicles of some sort, of course. And it seems like they've added some range increases to their cars recently over the last year or two. And... Most of those haven't been because they actually put a bigger battery in, although, of course, they're working on bigger, better batteries. But a lot of those were software changes just to make the motor run more efficiently. And that's probably something that's overlooked, I think, is the efficiency of motors. And, and like you said, if you got a motor that's 85% efficient and we can increase that 5-10% something, well, there's 5-10% more range without adding more weight to the bike. So there are certainly things like that that I think we'll probably see come out over the next few years as as e-bikes get more common and maybe a little more competitive. Like I said, I hope that drives some more <laughs> innovation and we see some of these happen things happen sooner than later. That's cool to hear about those things. Yeah, and I, and I feel like you know the the thing that's holding back innovation in the in the motor aspect or battery aspect for e-bikes is because. There's very limited players in the market for those, uh, uh, you know, for manufacturers. So, uh, you know, the, the big players like Bosch and Shimano and Rosa, they're, they're so occupied and focused on the European sales that they don't really care right. about making 750 watt motor for North Americans, which is a fraction of the sales in, like, say, Germany <laughs> alone, you know? <laughs> so, so, right. uh, which leaves us, like, leaves us, like, uh, vendors or manufacturers with very limited options for uh, motors that we can put on our bikes. And I think that is why some of these manufacturers, like Bofeng, might be slacking off a little bit, saying, hey, we don't need to do anything, and we can still uh, get the market. Why not? So I think over the years... <laughs> right, they don't, uh, they don't have any competition for high volumes of those types of motors, if that's what you want. You're right, they're very, exactly. very limited options. And, and thankfully, they're good at what they do, but they can always be better. Well, that's that's exactly my point, right? Is that yeah, they're they're actually you know their ultra motors is amazing. It's one of my favorite motors. Torque sensor, fifteen hundred watt peak, uh, can be limited to seven hundred watts discreetly legality and stuff. It's it's awesome, but it can be better. And they're just not being pushed enough to make it better because there's no peers competing with them. Well, great, great. Uh, and then the second question kind of goes along with this in a way. But where do you think things are going to go for 2021? Are you thinking uh, your local bike shops are still going to have empty bare shelves like many of them do now? What's your uh, prediction for the upcoming year for people? Well, you know, I can't really speak for uh, the others, but uh, I think other manufacturers are in a similar situation as we are. So, for example, you know, we've 
placed huge orders with companies like Tecro and Magura for breaks and stuff. And and right now, you know, Tecro emailed me just this last week saying that uh, our order that was placed like two months ago would be shipping next August. You know, I'm like, dude, next August? Like, really? What are we going to do for like <laughs> 10 months with no break? <laughs> and the thing is, like, Tecro, like, isn't the only thing you do make breaks? Isn't that like a major, like 80 to 90% of your business? Like, what, what's going on? So it turns out that uh, the source is where the trouble is. So, like, Tecro sources some of its materials, like uh, the aluminum stuff it needs or the forging it needs, all of those. And that's really bottleneck. And and essentially what's happened is there's a bottleneck in all industries that, that are in manufacturing. Uh, and then right. the surge in some industries, it's caused the bottleneck to become like a pinhole. You know, so essentially, uh, since, like, it's, uh, everybody knows that have fallen is that uh, e-bikes and bike sales in general have really gone crazy this year. And, and because of that, manufacturers have been doubling and tripling their orders of factories, which has caused a huge demand uh, at, uh, <laughs> at the manufacturing firm. Right, and, it's not helping uh, anything. <laughs> they were, we're exactly. all trying to scramble and buy more because it's I can't get it for such a long time. I have to buy more, and it's just it's uh, exponentially just increasing the problems. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and, and, and at the source, they're they're not having any any less of a problem trying to source like magnets, for example, for motors or or lithium or, or batteries and, and stuff. So so that's why I think like next year it's really hard to say. You know, like uh, I think. There is definitely going to be a void for bikes and e-bikes that uh, the lots of suppliers are still going to be out of stock just because of the timeline mm-hmm. of delivery of all components. But I think there's you know lots of people trying all sorts of creative ways to come up with a solution. So, so like for example, right. like, you know rad power bikes, uh, they've actually got like two different models now that use single speed uh, gears. Like there's no gears on these bikes, and and I think that's uh, that's smart because. Now you don't need to rely on Shimano and, and SRAM to get those bike components, uh, which which right now have like six to nine months delay uh, in delivery. Uh, and I think for the end customer with an e-bike, I think gears are, are kind of like, it depends on where you're riding. Like here in Saskatchewan, where it's fairly flat, a single speed bike would be just fine. you know. But if I was in Seattle or in, uh, in San Francisco, I might say otherwise. <laughs> so <Right>. I think... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Bunch of us uh, manufacturers are gonna come up with, uh, you know, innovate new ways and come up with new things that we can do to uh, to cope with it. One thing for certain is uh, e-bikes and bikes are gonna get a lot more popular uh, next year and and this year than, than ever before. Yeah, and my my recommendation lately has been if you're looking for an e-bike, if you're considering buying one, and it's either in stock or available soon. You should probably buy it because if you wait till springtime to buy a bike to ride in the springtime, you may or may not be able to get what you're looking for. That could be a challenge. Hopefully you can. And I think people like you and me are trying to do everything we can to have bikes that are available in stock, but we can only do so much. Absolutely. You know, and, and I often tell people like this is not just this year, but uh, over the past years, <laughs> right. people tell me, hey, I'm going to buy a bike in the spring. I used to tell them. You know, when building a house, do you know when the best time is to buy all your lumber? And uh, they'll be like, oh, that's a weird question. Like, wh- wh- why does it matter? Like, well, it matters because if you look at lumber prices, they're the cheapest in the winter and most expensive right. in the summer. And so if, if you say, oh, I'm going to build my house and buy all the stuff in the summer, and if you look at the actual savings, 
you'd save like, you know, 20 to 30%. At least in my case, I did when I built our house. You know, we saved like easily over 30% by just buying stuff that was, uh, that was on sale off season. And I think it's the same with bikes. Like if people have, if bike companies have bikes in stock in, I uh, say November, December, January, when it's like, you know, here at least it's like minus 30 and cold and nobody wants to buy bikes at the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. We are motivated to sell, and so are, I think, uh, it would be a great time for consumers to get a good deal also with it. Whereas in springtime, when everybody wants to buy bikes, manufacturers have the opposite issue. They're like, oh, we need more bikes. And, and they're not really incentivized to give a discount or have a sale because the problem they're having is keeping stock. So they want to get as much money as they can for the stock that they have. So you're absolutely right. I think, uh, uh, and with this COVID stuff right now and lots of uncertainty in stock, I would. I also tell people, hey man, if you see a bike that uh, think you want and they have it in stock or it's arriving relatively soon, you should probably get it because uh, otherwise you snooze, you lose. So you might have to settle. <laughs> if you might want. Yeah, I think you're you're right. Snooze, you lose. Uh, I hate to hate not trying to be insensitive or anything, but that's uh, that's unfortunately the way the industry is, and it and it will catch up. I think. But based on those lead times, you know, you said next August, I talked to one of my component suppliers, you know, this week and there, you know, we had to place an order that's for 11 months out. So we're trying to guess how many bikes are we going to sell that use that component over the next 11 months. So naturally we did what, you know, everybody would do, you know, as long as you can place the biggest order you can to try and secure as many parts as you can, because otherwise you may not have them. And there's so many bottlenecks and things, I think 2021 is going to be very up and down and and hit or miss for e-bike companies. And I think that's something that e-bike companies need to pay very close attention to, that make sure we're being careful and and growing correctly so that we don't have, you know, a gap that we can't survive, you know, a month or two of not having any bikes, because that's a realistic possibility that we should be prepared for. Absolutely. And I think like over the past years, I can't think of any year that bikers has been in business where we were, we were out of bikes for at least two months. So like, like every, every <laughs> year this happens. Like this year, we were sold out of our, our top selling bikes in July and August. Like I was happy that, oh, it's July and August and not like, you know, March and April or June or something. That's, that's like worse than July right. and August. There's still people that want to buy bikes and, and you just don't have enough to sell them to them. That's hard. Exactly. Well, I think there's a little bit of an advantage for smaller companies like you and me because what happens is that we are able to pivot and and, and move, be very agile uh, with our bikes. So, for example, uh, this is a simple example. Say, for example, uh, we're trying to spec this bike out with a with a nine speed uh, Shimano component, and it turns out that uh, uh, three months later, Shimano says, "Hey, there's a delay. We can't ship your uh, ship your components in six months. Instead, we're going to ship it to you in like." 10 months. Now, larger companies, it would be very difficult for them to come up and say, oh man, okay, forget it. Let's scrap Shimano and look at uh, maybe uh, SRAM. SRAM 9 speed, right. just the same. It's actually a little bit extra money, but that's fine. You know? And we can eat that cost and we can have bikes uh, sooner. Now, larger companies have very difficult time doing that because they've already invested a lot of effort and in marketing and, and all the sources that they've got and all these different things that they have but for smaller vendors like you and me, uh, we've got that advantage where we can say, you know what, uh, Shimano doesn't come in 10 months, we don't want Shimano, let's, uh, let's move over to, <laughs> to Shram. Or maybe even uh, Sunwave, which is a company that's been around for, for yeah. you know, like four or five decades. 
and they've got like pretty good components. Like like performance wise, they've been great, except they don't have the marketing reach that bigger players like like uh, Shimano and and Fandi. So or we could go with like Fox, uh, a US based company that that makes components for one bike. So it leaves us in a very good spot where our customers end up getting bikes that are spec really well for them, but not necessarily you know out of stock for the longest time. So I think that's a that's right. No, that's a, a great example, and I, I had to do the same exact thing. People are aware of it that pre-ordered the Blackbird models that we had. You know, we expected them already to be here months ago, and I'm still waiting for them to come. And it was just one delay after another on components that we were, I had already ordered and, you know, had firm lead times, and it's like this one didn't show up, and then that one didn't show up. And, and it was like, oh, yeah, well, we'll have them for you you know, at this time. And, and if they give you a lead time that's, you know, several months beyond when it was supposed to arrive, I'm not going to make, you know, customers wait that long or wait that long. We did, you know, just what you suggested or talked about. We go find somebody else and, and we make a change. And what I've been trying to do is if we have to make a change, we just try and make it better than whatever the part was before, equal or better. Just don't go down in quality you know, that's my one, one rule I try and do is don't make it worse quality. We got to make it better if we have to change something. It's been a challenge for sure, but we've definitely have had to switch some things around and it's all worked out. It's taken a little bit longer than, than it was supposed to at first, but uh, at least the bikes are going to get here. Hey, you know, I think uh, that makes sense. And uh, for the best interest of the customer, that's always what we should be doing. Like we often do that. Sometimes, you know, when, when people look at our, uh, look at what I do, they're like, man, why are you giving them like this? Hundred or two hundred dollar upgrade. I'm like, well, so they have their bike like three months sooner, you know. <laughs> so I think like most customers empathize with us that they understand the situation we're in. But some of them, you know, uh, if you look at some of our uh, some of the comments that uh, people make on like social media, they're like, oh, these guys promised this date and it's delayed by seven days, and we're like, man, you know, it doesn't give us any pleasure in delaying a bike. It's not like no, no not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if there's anything. More that we could do to deliver your bike sooner, we would do, have already done that. I think, uh, like, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like walking, sleeping, breathing, eating these things. You know, like I'm always like, my mind is always thinking of, thing, of ways we can we can improve our customer experience. Oh, sure, we can deliver bikes sooner and and all these things. So so yeah, like when when some customers come to me and they're like, hey, why don't you do this? I'm like, dude. We've already thought of that. We've already tied this. We've already like, like trust me. We're like constantly thinking about this, you know. And, and I appreciate your feedback, mm-hmm. but it's not as easy as you say, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, all in all, I think most customers understand it and they're really supportive, which is which is great. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's uh, and and building up this community, I think, is like we've got this awesome uh, Facebook group with uh, with a few thousand members now and. It's amazing to see how lots of people that say that they've never ridden bikes before, but now they're doing like thousands of miles in a year, and they they motivate others to get on on a bike and, and ride more, and they support each other and stuff. And I think that community of uh, of the e-bike space in general is uh, is great. I think it's awesome. Yeah, that is why all these delays, all these waits are worth it. Right now, I know it's a little bit more challenging to get bikes, but that hopefully will be temporary. And one day we'll kind of go back to normal, so to speak. But at the end of it all, you get a bike, you get exercise, you have fun with it. And like you said, there's so many people that just weren't riding a bike at all before. 
that are just doing these these awesome trips and riding every day. They're putting sometimes thousands of miles on their bikes. And it's great to see that transformation, if you will, from from the before and after. And that is something that you just can't take away. Everybody who rides a bike just just loves that aspect. And they're going to be here for a long time. So it, it's, like I said, all very, very exciting to see what's going to happen next. A lot of unknowns right now for supply. But like you said, maybe that's going to drive some more interesting ways for people to come up with things for e-bikes that can solve supply chain problems. And who knows, maybe they'll improve electric bikes at the same time. We'll see. I, I think there's definitely some things that are going to come out of this for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, I appreciate all of the things you've shared with us about you and your company and what you think is going to happen going forward. Uh, If people want to go check out your bikes, where's the best place for them to go? Our website is biketricks.com. So that's B-I-K-E-R-I-X.com. And uh, that's the best spot. You can either click on chat and chat with us or... Just phone us at uh, 866 bike and uh, extension one will get you somebody in Canada. If you want to chat with us, sure, we're available. Awesome. And I didn't ask this question before when we were talking about the mechanics you had in there. Do you also have kind of a, a physical location there where people do come to test ride bikes or pick up bikes, or is it like a retail? How's that set up for you? Yeah, so we have two spots here. One is uh, our, our headquarters, which is where all of the magic happens behind the scenes. And then on, uh, in Saskatoon here, right on Broadway Avenue, we have a showroom. Uh, it's not a big showroom. It's about 800 to 1,000 square foot. Uh, we, have, we have one of each of our models of bikes and, uh, and two of the staff there at all times um, so that they can, uh, they can get people. Like we're, if you look at the maps in Saskatoon, we've got a river that goes right through the city. And our city has been great where they've built about 50 or 60 miles of trails all along the, the river. Where, oh, that's great. Uh, okay. Yeah, but there's no vehicles allowed. And and we're just a block away, like actually a half a block away from the, from the trail. So uh, lots of people come by, they can take these bikes out on a trail, and then they realize, man, I've been riding for like two hours, and I've never done this ever before. And uh, <laughs> that actually, uh, <laughs> it converts a lot of people. And in the summer, we often have like these show and tell. So essentially, we take people on a, on a guided tour all along the trail, and it just blows people away. They're like, man, I, you know, I haven't ridden so long, or I never thought I could ride so much, and, and I've covered like 50 kilometers, or like, or like 40 miles. Like, oh, this is amazing. So, end of the day, that's all we want to do, right? We just want to get more people outside, get more people riding bikes, and, and getting fitter without necessarily over-exhausting them. So, that's what we're out to do, and uh, we're able to achieve that by having our showroom out there on, on Broadway and our, uh, our backing up here in uh, Awesome. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. If anybody listening is close to that general area and it's not 30 below outside, <laughs> uh, I think you should go over there, check it out and, uh, and go right up and down that path on one of their bikes. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yes. Hey, uh, thanks again, Kyle, for uh, organizing this podcast and having me on here. It's, uh, it's truly been a pleasure chatting with you. You too. Thank you very much for being on. And thank you to everyone else who's been listening to this podcast episode. We'll be back again every Tuesday. If you're not on our email list, you can always go to ebikepodcast.com. Once again, that's ebikepodcast.com. That's where I send out a weekly email and you know what the newest episode is and what we're going to 
talk about next. And hopefully you learn something about e-bikes on every single one. Now, of course, if you're looking for more information and more videos, more how-tos, you can also go check out the Bolton e-bikes YouTube channel if you're not already subscribed there as well. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Oh,